Listening to this podcast is a beautiful way to gain insight and learn actionable steps that you can carry forward in your own life. But what if I told you there was a way for you to join in on the conversation? Well, here is your formal invitation to do just that. You can tap into a very free online community of like-minded people who came here to do the very same thing you did when you clicked play on this episode, to heal, grow, and expand their knowledge. And they are just as excited to talk about what they are hearing on this episode. I would be so honored to have you join us each week in a live group call over on the Peanut app. And if the thought of having to talk to a group makes you want to bury your head in the dirt, don't worry. Your participation is absolutely not required. You are more than welcome to just listen in on the live pod. If you are new to the Peanut app, it is a safe space for women to connect. Whether you're navigating fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, or just seeking a supportive community, Peanut provides access to that community filled with like-minded individuals who are there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. And they just so happen to have a live podcast feature, which is where you will find me discussing these topics among that community. The link for the Peanut app and my Root and Rise Peanut group are in the show notes for you. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on today's episode and introducing you to this loving online community that I've built. And if you have any suggestions for topics you want to discuss in future pods, I would love to hear from you. Now, let's get into the show. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Root and Rise podcast. My name is Brienne, and with each episode, I intend to plant some seeds of insight, help you water them with love, and send you off with a little extra light to help you root and rise. Today, we are talking about resiliency and trauma-informed language. But first, I would like to acknowledge you, my listener and friend, for being here with me today. You are the reason for this podcast. I appreciate your presence, and I'm really excited to help you root and rise. We are continuing part two of my interview with Nicole Miles for my series on Intimate Partner and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. If you are new here, welcome. I am a survivor of domestic violence, and I'm a very active advocate for other survivors. You can even join me in free weekly group calls. Send me a message or find me over on Instagram for more information. As a survivor, to be able to focus on this subject for a month has been incredibly therapeutic for me. Even if you have not experienced domestic violence, I know that you will gain so much wisdom from today's episode, because the topics are resiliency and trauma-informed language. This can be applied to any type of trauma, big T or little t. In part one of this interview, we talked about post-traumatic growth and not only surviving, but thriving after domestic violence. As always, with topics like these, it comes with a trigger warning. I try to keep the episodes focused on the actionable steps and advice for you, but sometimes we learn these through personal stories. If you didn't listen to part one, first of all, go listen to it. But my guest, Nicole Miles, is a survivor and speaker who talks about post-traumatic growth, resilience, and trauma-informed practices. Part two of this interview continues on with the topics of resilience and trauma-informed language. So let's dive back in right where we left off. I would love to talk more about your resilience because it isn't truly inspiring. So resilience is such an interesting word. Um, I actually spoke at a conference recently that was titled resilience. And when I spoke to the room, I said, so this is the point now where either everybody loves me because this is going to be different or I never get invited back <laughs> to this conference. So here's the deal. 
for me with resilience. Um, and I do want to let people know, so I'm not a clinical psychologist. I am, however, finishing an organizational psychology degree, and I have two certifications in trauma and resilience, professional certifications. So some of this is experience, some of this is expertise, but I really feel like we have overbilled the whole resilience thing terribly in our society. We've kind of done this thing with it where it's a panacea, right? You're so resilient. Okay, well, are we, you know, the alternatives to resilience in many, many cases, whether it's abuse or poverty or, you know, any other kind of trauma, disease, the alternative to resilience is death in many cases. So uh, first of all, resilience is not, (laughs) it's not the ideal finish line. In fact, it is only the starting point. Also, it is a skill set. It is not a trait. Let no one tell you that you are born resilient or born not resilient because that is garbage. This is a skill set that you can develop and that you need to develop. So when I start to work with people, I actually start with the resilience and self-care because it's what you need to navigate the rest of those five steps. But I explain it. I used to use a metaphor about a boat and they say, you know, sometimes art imitates life. I had a moment where life imitated art. It is it is kind of funny, but it beautifully illustrated resilience. So I, I will preface this with saying um, everything ended up fine. <laughs> I mentioned I have an adolescent child. I have a son and we went on a little summer getaway here at the end of the summer. There are limited things that you can do and still be entertaining to an adolescent child. And uh, one of the things that he and I like to do together is kayak. We do not get to do it very often, but we we wanted to go and I decided I would sign us up for this whitewater kayaking, this level three whitewater kayaking. And, and we've done some kayaking. We're good. He's very good, uh, very natural at it. I was like, this is going to be fine. And we got to the place and like the first kind of clue that this was not the kayaking we were used to is like when they're giving us the helmets, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the kayaks and they've got these like roll straps for your legs. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, it's fine. This is fine. We're, we're all good. You know, they kind of give us a little quick map. This is a seven mile whitewater tour. So they load us up in the bus with the kayaks. They drive us literally down the river, drop the kayaks and us in the river. And they've warned us where the white water is. And like, that's it. We're going to get picked up at the other other end when we're done. So we you know, kind of literally quite get, it's not sea legs, it's sea arms, right? Trying to paddle and, and get used to this and things are going okay. And we hit the first couple of rapids, okay, little ones along the way. You get stuck a bunch of times because you're doing this and we were doing this in a river. It's fairly shallow and the water's moving. You get stuck on rocks all the time, but you, you learn. We hit the first real major rapid about a mile in. And my son's kayak went sideways. And so he basically got beached on top of a large rock with all of these rapids around him. And unfortunately, his mother was following way too close to him. And so when he got stuck sideways, I was stuck in the current. And I effectively T-boned my own child and rolled him out of the kayak into the rapids And so now my son is in total shock, of course, because I've caused the trauma, right? Like I've caused a trauma. I've knocked my own child out of his kayak in the rapids. These are not deep rapids. So thank goodness for that. But now he's totally disorientated. His kayak is upside down. His paddle is off to the side. I'm stuck on the rock now. I can't do anything because if I get out, 
I'm going to send my kayak careening at him, which could be very dangerous. So instead, I'm just yelling, get on your feet, get on your feet, get on your feet. And he's kind of stunned. And then he he reaches for his kayak for a minute, which is what we do with the trauma. We reach for the tool we had, but it is upside down and there are rapids. And so for a moment, that kayak actually threatens to suck him under, at which point he's going to have a major problem. So he lets, thank goodness, he lets go of the kayak. And now he's trying to look for the paddle. And, and this is what we do. We're, we're, like, these were the tools we got in the water with. So these are the tools that are supposed to help us, but they won't because we're in the water. And so he finally kind of gets settled and gets on his feet. And now he's standing. And the immediate trauma is over because he's standing. He's safe. That act, that is resilience. In real time, that is a trauma, a typical response, and a resilience wonderful, except he is still standing in the rapids with an upside down kayak and no paddle. It is not over. And this is how I talk about resilience. You have to have that correct reaction. You have to orientate yourself and use new tools, maybe not the ones that got you in towards the trauma to begin with, but it isn't over. If you stop there, we were six miles from the end of the kayak trip. We can't stop with him standing in the water with an upside down boat. You have to then regroup and flip the boat back over and get the paddle and get back in and get going. And that's the post-traumatic growth part. That's the growth and healing part that we do afterwards. But that moment of getting on your feet, that's resilience. And it's incredibly powerful and incredibly important. It is an essential tool, but it is not the end. It's if you've gotten up every day and you're thinking like, I'm doing it, I am handling it because I got up today and I went again, you're right. You got up again today and you survived your day and you are resilient. The reason that you are not getting any further is because you didn't get in your boat. We got to get you out of the water for you to move forward. And that's what I want folks to know. Like that You are resilient. You have done this. Um, and there are specific tools. I work in workshops with people frequently to build the tools to actually have something I call the resilience ring, which are three pieces. So you learn to do your lean, your learn, and your leverage. Those are different pieces of resilience. And we actually build that tool set for you so that you can get on your feet. But you have to know with resilience, that's what you're doing. You're getting on your feet, not back in your boat. That's a beautiful perspective of resilience, one I have not had before, and you have just changed my entire outlook on that. <laughs> I hope it's something to think about for people that, you know, it's one of the reasons we get, I think we get stuck. Strong and resilient is strong and resilient, but it isn't progress. Kind of like our talk about healing not being a destination. I think That's you right. have these ideas in mind of what it is like to recover from trauma and what it looks like and how you act and how you feel and what your life looks like. And it's never what you think it is, especially when you get started. Along the way, you learn these tools and these new perspectives and ways of viewing healing and trauma recovery and new language, which I know I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about trauma-informed language. 
Yeah. So in in studying the trauma and resilience work that I did and thinking about the things that are around us that tend to set us back, it is, I, I call it the tape we play in our heads, but it is also the tape that others play in theirs for us. Uh, And it has a lot to do with the language that we learn. And one of the things that was really profound for me when I stumbled upon using the right or the wrong language is that I had gone through a period, especially the first sort of five years of my recovery, where I regularly beat myself up for wanting anything that was hard for me to get or that I could not get. And the reason for that is that just like a lot of people say, you must just be, you're so lucky to be alive. The other really common phrase that I heard was, you must, you should just, you're so grateful. You should be so grateful that you survived this. You'd be so grateful that you're here now. And it started to feel like if I wanted any more than I had, if I wanted to pursue something, or if I was frustrated or angry because my credit rating was ruined and I couldn't get a, never mind a house, I couldn't, I couldn't open a checking account for a period of time. Being angry or being frustrated about those kinds of things made me ungrateful. And the last thing I wanted to do when I had quote unquote been saved was be ungrateful for what I'd had. And this is one of those language pieces that really steals agency. And so when I talk about trauma-informed language, I really look at domains that depersonalize us. So while we want to be depersonalized in the education piece of our post-traumatic growth, when we're actually talking to survivors, one of the depersonalizing words that we frequently use and that we've seen on our own paperwork when we've done things is victim right? Think about those things that get inside your head. This is where trauma-informed language needs to come in and reprogram, right? So yes, our law enforcement officers, two of whom literally saved my life, they are trained to depersonalize because that is their training to help them not get attached. But in trauma-informed spaces, we need to use names and not titles like victim. It'd be great if that paperwork we all had to fill out didn't say across the top of it in big, bold letters of victim services. It would really, really help kind of personalize what was happening to us. Phrases that take our agency are really big. And that has to do with that everything help happens for a reason. So if that's the case, then that would indicate that I can't do anything to actually fix or heal myself because it's all happening for a reason. It's all somewhere out of my control. That's not necessarily what someone means when they say that. They're trying to make you feel better. So also if you're listening and you're thinking, oh my God, I've said that, you know, do not beat yourself up. This is that Maya Angelou, when we know better, we do better moment. But it does take agency. So stop saying it. There are things that diminish our feelings as well. And so these words that, you know, and phrases that diminish what's happening, this is what happens when somebody gets so uncomfortable with you or uncomfortable with the feelings that you're having, that they want you to put them aside. And so these are those like, just be positive, positive vibes here, good vibes only. Those kinds of very pink cloud language really fall into that diminishing piece. And what that's doing is, is communicating to somebody, whatever you're carrying right now, I do not want to hear. I don't want to make place for that. So one of the things that I did um, that is available as a free download for anybody who signs up for my email list is I put together 20 phrases that we say, and it's 20 phrases to stop saying, 12 to stay instead, because I think we need to replace that language. And then what the whys. And so there are deeper explanations about each of these domains and why we really need to reframe 
the way we are speaking about what is happening to us. Again, it's been enculturated for us. The pink cloud behavior is a really big thing in our society, but it is really, it's really unhealthy. There's a reason we're starting to call it toxic positivity. And it's because we're not making place for people to feel empowered and to say, that is so much to carry. That is so much that you are dealing with right now. Or I am so grateful that you are still here. It's a totally different phrase from you must be so grateful to be here. And I also want people to think about the phrases and the words that they are using for themselves. Because because of hearing those words over time, that was one of my big challenges was you have internalized this language, whether you realize it or not. You know, every time you walk in a room, you're thinking, I just need to be positive. I just need to be positive. Well, you've internalized that language. Do you need to be positive right now? Is that what is best for you? And if it's not, can you bring that authenticity safely to a space? And we need to be making space for that authentic, really exchange of this is what's happening for me. This is what's going on and not take away each other's agency when those things are happening. I think so much would change if we would change the language that we are using around trauma, if we would even just start to say the word trauma, start to say the words abuse, those things would change dramatically. But even if we just stopped saying those very common phrases, those, you know, positive vibes here, everything happens for a reason, these kind of very common phrases, if we just took those out of our lexicon, an amazing amount of things will change. Words hold such weight and to use them in a way, the toxic positivity way is just to make other people feel comfortable. And when you were speaking about showing up authentically, I think about how refreshing that is to see and how when you show up authentically, you are empowering others. You are leading by example, showing them that it's okay if they do too. As soon as you let down that facade of everything is great, everything's perfect, I'm happy and positive, it allows somebody else to do the same. And I know that when you mentioned the words survivor and victim, that was a huge turning point in my life. I can identify the exact moment, the exact time in my life when I went from feeling like a victim to feeling like a survivor. And the way it changed how I showed up in my life, it changed the way that people started to treat me. There were, of course, some people in my life who were still kind of enabling the victim mindset because they needed to be retrained as well. And I think it's a beautiful distinction. And I'm so excited to download your guide. I'm going to do that as soon as we get off this call. (laughs) It's It's a very quick little guide, but it's really handy to just be able to glance at those things. And, you know, you can start that early. You know, I remember my children are older now, but when my son in particular was younger, it was when they were really starting to talk about the toxic positive language in in child care. And we can start this from the beginning. And, you know, this goes back to falling down on the playground and hurting yourself and crying and having that response, which is you're okay. You're okay. Which by the way, is the thing we tell us when we get into abusive relationships. I'm okay. I'm okay. He didn't actually you know, I didn't pass out from that. So I, I, I'm okay. It, that gets enculturated from the very, very beginning of when we are so, so tiny. And so if you can even start that with the people around you, with that intergenerational trauma is real. And, you know, when someone falls down, it's, it's, 
that must have really hurt. That looks like you were, you look scared. Your face is telling me you're scared. You know, what can we do to make this feel better right now? Just honoring that simple space and not dismissing the legitimate emotion of falling down and hurting yourself. I believe that those kinds of things over time will change the way we treat each other and they will change the way we treat ourselves. And there will be fewer people that have to be retrained in in what happens to us and how they respond, because it is a huge moment when you go. And, and it's why I've tried to, I'm trying to level it up and simultaneously get rid of this trauma stuff. But I use this word thrivership all the time, because I also think that survivor bar is very low, right? That comes back to that. You're so grateful. You must be so grateful to be here. Well, okay. That's really, I mean, that's really the standard of care. It is really the standard of care for trauma at this point across the board, abuse survivors, medical issues, financial issues. Uh, you know, there's natural disasters and you see these people and they've been so enculturated that you know their home has blown away and they're like, but we're just grateful we survived. And yes, you're grateful for your life, but also that is a profound, profound loss. And we are really glossing over all of that loss because it makes us uncomfortable to identify that people have needs. And so then the standard of care becomes, but they survived. So it's fine for us to leave those impoverished communities. And then we then we study Katrina trauma 10 years later on children who were young children when that happens, or we we study victim trauma 10, 15 years after our own traumas have happened. We, we're still studying this stuff because we have really a adapted to that notion that if you survive, that is enough and all, and all things should stop after that. You should stop wanting anything else because congratulations, you didn't die. And I think that that really needs to change. And I, I also think if listeners, especially if you are in an abusive relationship right now, if you could hear how much more you deserve than just being resilient and getting through that day, uh, it would change everything. And if you are a survivor, amazing that you are among the survivors. You deserve more. You deserve the whole world. And I think that I would love to see people be able to raise that bar. I completely agree. And you mentioned earlier that if you were kind of wondering if you're in an abusive relationship, that probably means you are. I just think if somebody is listening to this episode, they might be drawn to it for a specific reason. Either they've experienced it, they know somebody who has, or they're in it and they may not be ready to admit it quite yet. And I think giving them this framework and this new language to move forward with is going to help them carry the weight of it because that's what it feels like. It feels so heavy, especially if you're not talking to other people about it. If you're not ready to open up, if you're not even ready to face it or admit it to yourself. That's right. And I think if you are the friend or the family member of the person who you well suspect is being abused, which again, probably the odds are pretty high that you're probably correct if that's something that you are suspecting, knowing this language and honoring even that sliver moment of someone will say one little thing, if you don't diminish it, if you don't take agency from it, you may open the door. You may open the door just a little bit wider. I think it is so hard for those of us who were in abusive relationships. Those were some of the darkest moments that 
many of us have ever lived through. I also think and and want to honor the people who knew and suspected those relationships were happening and waited in also dark places for us to be strong enough to finally say what was happening and respond. Those are really hard places to be in because the answer to can you make someone leave is no, but the answer to can you help them get ready to leave is yes. And being hyper aware of your language, being aware of just being available and open and responding correctly can make a huge, huge difference. Um, So if you are one of those people, first of all, thank you. And second of all, you know, keep on with this, but look at your language, look at what opportunities you have to just throw the door open a little bit more and support them just a little bit more to help them get out. That is a beautiful nugget of wisdom that you have just dropped. My next episode is actually on that very subject, being able to support somebody through an abusive relationship. I know I've obviously been on the inside of that. I've rejected some people for trying to call it out. And I've, you know, had that one friend that I told you about that I opened up to and trying to find a healthy you know, balance that's not enabling. It's being able to empower them in little ways. And I love that you mention ways that aren't specific to the relationship. So, you know, not diminishing little things that they're talking about, not being in that situation where you say, it's okay, you're okay, but at least you're, you know, safe and healthy and happy. And at least, you know, whatever situation didn't, wasn't worse. I think that's, really, really beautiful to pass on and something I'll be carrying forward with me. Good. I'm so glad. I will be sure to include your link to this downloadable guide. I'm going to be downloading it myself and carrying that forward with me as well. Can you let my listeners know where they can find you if they are looking into your consulting business? Absolutely. So I am, um, my website is milestogo.net and I'm miles with a Y. So it's M-Y-L-E-S, milestogo.net. I am also on Facebook at Speaks Miles or Miles to Go. You can find me at both places and on Instagram at miles dot the number two and the in the words to go. So you can find me in all three of those places. You can sign up for my email list on any of those places as well. You can DM me and reach out and I will always respond. You can find out a lot of information about me on my website and how to connect for coaching. If you are yourself looking to do some of that growth, if you're an organization or advocates, I do a lot of organizational consulting and training for groups that work with survivors of traumas, a variety of traumas. And so you can find information about that or about how to come and have me speak to your group, which I love to do um, because it is the reason I get up in the morning every day is to make sure that I empower more people to grow um, and experience thrivership. And I'm so honored to have you here in my space doing that. I cannot wait for all of the lives that you are going to touch with all of these tools and your story, your message and your mission. I know that I feel like I've made a friend just through this conversation. It has been very refreshing and comforting and validating (laughs) to hear about your experience. Brian, me too. It has been absolutely lovely. So I'm so thrilled to have been here. And I hope that we can reach out together and and help a lot of people on their journey. And I hope that we reach you, my listener and friend. 
If you want to make a difference with survivors of domestic violence, please share my podcast with anyone you know who might benefit from hearing these messages of hope and healing. If you are suffering from abuse or need resources to heal, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 if you are in the United States. You can also visit loveisrespect.org where they have a phone call, chat, or text option if you need to contact somebody. If you are outside of the U.S. and need resources, I will include some in my show notes for you. You are also more than welcome to reach out to me if you need anything. Thank you for tuning in to the Root and Rise podcast. As always, I am so grateful to have you here with me today. I hope that this has brought you some insight and inspired you to root and rise in your own life. I love hearing from you. So please follow me on Instagram at Root and Rise Podcast and be sure to send your comments, questions, or just reach out to say hello. I love making new friends. If you would like to review notes on today's episode, head over to rootandriseblog.com. Make sure to subscribe. And if you loved what you heard today or know someone who would benefit from hearing it, please take a screenshot and tag me to share this on your social media. My name's Brienne, and until next time, I'll be sending you so much light so you too can root and rise.